Hi, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. Before we dig into this episode, I want to remind you that there is some really big upcoming news from one of my favorite nonprofit organizations, Pride and Less Prejudice. If you are not already subscribed to their free newsletter, pause the episode, head over to the show notes, find information about Pride and Less Prejudice. You'll be able to sign up, subscribe to their free newsletter to make sure that you are in the know. I promise you are going to want to be. On today, it is a huge joy for me to present Dahlia Adler. Hi, my name is Dahlia Adler. I am an author of young adult novels and an anthologist of young adult anthologies. Um, I am also a mathematics editor by day, an editor at an academic publishing house, uh, and I blog for BuzzFeed about books, (laughs) and I run a website called LGBTQ Reads, which is a website with curated recommendations for all ages and all categories and all genres with a lot of different organizational methods. Um, So that's a bunch of the stuff I do. I also have two kids. Um, and a husband. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's most of my life right there because there's not much time left for anything else after all that. And I mean, just the, I, I'd love for us to start with LGBTQ reads. It's amazing mm-hmm. to me that you have time to do anything outside of that because <laughs> it's a huge, huge undertaking um, and perfect timing. Just a few episodes back, we had. Um, someone who works with indie bookstores. She's sort of known uh, pseudo famously on TikTok and Instagram as the lesbian bookseller. And she oh, you know, brought yes. up <laughs> yes, <laughs> the small world, um, you know, brought yeah. up LGBTQ reads and was talking about how it really is their go-to place and just how influential it is in their work. Um, and for lots of folks who work in indie bookstores and beyond. Um, The last time I checked, it's now surpassed 1 million views. Congratulations on that. I know, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's, that's nothing to, to sort of shrug off. That's huge. You know, it's been, it's been really influential for me in my own reading habits and the reading habits of so many people. So I, I was hoping you might, um, Take us through, like, what is the origin story for LGBTQ reads? And, and maybe if you could share with us what a few of the milestones uh, might have been for you as the creator, because um, I, I don't know how early on you were able to see, like, wow, this is this is going to gain traction and this is going to be on a trajectory where it will have been seen by more than a million people. So what's interesting about it is when I started LGBTQ Reads in 2016, which means I conceived it, I guess, in 2015, um, there was no way to foresee any trajectory like that because there just wasn't that much to put on it at the time. And to be perfectly honest, I often think that if I had known how much work it would ultimately be, and it's so much work because there are so much titles with so many titles, which is fantastic. But if I had foreseen the growth and so how much time it would require and how much space it would occupy and all that, I don't know if I would have undertaken it. It was a very, it it was extensive for what was there, but we're still talking a relatively simple undertaking when I did it in 2016. Um, The origin story is really simple. There was, there were some great blogs in existence already um, that, that had specialty coverage. So, um, you know, there's, I'm pretty sure the lesbian review and the lesbrary and bisexual books, and 
there were a bunch of MM romance sites. Um, and especially the big one for me was it's now called YA Pride. It used to be called Gay YA. Um, and they did, you know, great and extensive coverage on their specific areas. At the time, I was blogging for the Barnes and Noble teen blog. Um, and I was starting to get more and more into covering LGBT books for them specifically, um, among lots of other things. I did a lot of blogging for them over six years. But um, my feeling about LGBT literature was that because so many people grew up without it, it didn't really matter what age you were, you were willing to read cross category because if you were an adult, it's not just like, oh, adults read YA, but you wanna see what's out there now. You wanna see what you missed. You wanna see the experiences you did or didn't have reflected especially now, you know, if there's fluffier stuff and you want to see what that would have looked like to have those teen years when you decidedly did not have those teen years yourself. Um, there's just a lot of reason to read cross category and cross genre. I mean, now there are so many options that you, you don't have to, but at the time there weren't. So people just wanted to know everything out there that was queer and that was good. And so to me, there was a lot of value in making a site that had everything because I really felt like there were gonna be people who were interested in more than just one corner. Um, and at the time, I think where middle grade was like, just, 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 just starting to get like a couple of titles. Um, and I was really, this was still not the height of when um, new adult was a thing, but it was in that, no, 2015. I was fairly in that space. I was writing it. I was, pub I published my first, um, so in addition to young adult, I, I did self-publish three new adult romances. That's romances that are set in college, do a little more with burgeoning adulthood. Um, and I wrote one that was FF. It was a romance between a pansexual girl and a lesbian. Um, and I just, you know, so I was, I was reading as much queer and especially sapphic new adult as I could find at the time. And so I was really interested in these categories outside of what um, gay YA was already doing. And I was like, you know what? For all these reasons, let me get this stuff in one place and I'll have little recommendation lists and then I'll have longer lists. And it was, you know, I didn't launch it until I had a bunch of posts already done. So there was really something to look at for a very long time. You know, that first day of the site was absolutely, you know, the most viewed day. Um, but then, you know, <laughs> Queer Lit blew up and so, so, so did the site. Um, and really the only way that I'm able to do it is to keep everything as like work in progress pages. Like if you go look at it, you will see some titles are linked and some are not. Like that's nothing personal. That's here's what I had time to and here's what I didn't. Um, and I just let it all work on a rolling basis. So some of the pages are really sparse. You know, they might be newer ideas or I just have less access to that information unless I have time to really sit down and research. Um, and so that's why you'll see like really big differences between some of the pages and others. But I just figure better to have a tiny bit of information out there than nothing. Um, and so that's that's how it works. I work on it pretty much at least a little bit every day. Um, and that's that's how it keeps going. Um, and milestones. So when that first day stopped being the most viewed, um, I don't remember what that was, though. That might have been the first time I did a big cover reveal which was um, TJ Clune's The House in the Cerulean Sea. And that guy, I wanna say like 4,000 views. I mean, it was something wild. And that, um, that was a big deal. <laughs> I feel like I got a lot more um, publishers requesting cover reveals after that. I mean, there's a point at which you like tip into being taken more seriously by the industry. And like, 
it's not something I hugely care about because I, I have a strong commitment to making sure that indies, self-publishers are always covered by this site. They were holding down queer lit well before traditional publishing was. And like, we are not ignoring that in this house. Um, but it's, it's interesting when it starts to get, when you hit that point where you start to get traction and now I'll see in press materials, maybe quotes by LGBTQ reads or just, you know, most anticipated book by and LGBTQ reads will be in that list along with other publications. And I'm like, oh, okay. You're treating me like a real <laughs> like source now. Okay. That's cool. Um, so that's, uh, those are the milestones that like, I really notice. publishers starting to want me to put it in my author blurbs, um, which truth be told is not, I don't, I, I have mixed feelings about it. Um, but it was kind of cool the first time I saw it on a book, like author of and creator of, and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess both those things are kind of my babies. Um, so yeah, that was my very, very long response to your question. <laughs> well, a response, I think that's, that's worthy of what it has come to be. And, and as I said, I, I know that many listeners of this show will want me to pass on just gratitude that it exists um and it that it's again um you know what it is doing for lgbtq folks and and for readers everywhere dahlia you know you have also authored an impressive number of books most recently home field field advantage and you have two more books on the way i wanted to read this quote from the nerd daily's review of home field advantage by mimi kohler mimi writes quote, a swoon-worthy romance about breaking the glass ceiling and being true to yourself. Adler's home field advantage is a fun queer twist on the quarterback cheerleader trope that will suck you in from the very first page, end quote. So as someone who reviews books, who curates book lists, I'm wondering if you can talk about what sort of this inverse dynamic is for you and, and how being someone who does review and, and thinks critically about books informs the way in which you then interact with reviews of your own work. So on the one hand, you never want to let outside forces influence too much. Um, and separately, I kind of, if I have a writing process, I have never been able to nail down what it, what it is. Um, but there are certainly things that kind of come to me and feel unchangeable, um, you know, or I'll try to make a book do something and then I just, I cannot make it that. Um, so I get that like invisible hand forcing feeling. Um, so I, I can't say that like outside influence is tremendous. What I do get to see is um, what people respond to best, what people um, really want to see more of what little things, I mean, I use, I, I don't use little to mean unimportant, but kind of small details, um, that are really important to people. Um, and they can be very minor, like just having a reference to somebody being attractive, who is not the type of person who is generally considered conventionally attractive. I mean, you get to see these really small things like, oh, I'm just so happy to have seen this word on the page. It was just so great to see a love interest who was X. Um, and so I get to see all those little things. And sometimes that's something I can put in my own work. Or it's a good fit for my own work. Sometimes it isn't. Um, but it's always good to know sort of what there's a hunger for out there. Um, and because part of running LGBTQ Reads is also running, I run um, a Tumblr page for it. 
that is open to uh, recommendation requests. And there's always the anonymous option open. I would say at least 90% of requests come in anonymously. I mean, not everybody can safely ask. Some people just don't want to put their names to it. Um, and so I get to see also what people want to see. Um, for the most part, it's like not things I'm, I'm inclined to do anyway, but every now and again, I'll be like, my God, how many people want to see like, uh, you know, nerd cheerleader romances. Like at some point you're like, well, I just have to do one obviously because I know 5,000 people a day ask me for it. And so that influence is always there for sure. Um, and, and getting to see, like, I always know what the trends are, not necessarily what's, you know, what editors are looking for, but like, you can't cover all the incoming titles. And I do, I gather the deal announcements every month. So I really see what's being bought like, and not get a sense of like, what's big right now, which means what's going to be publishing a ton of in like 2024. Um, and so that's kind of interesting because you're like, is this dead now? Is there a great hunger for it now that's going to hold up? Um, so you do, I mean, there's just so much to observe and some of it gets in, but it's only, it's only going to get in if like, I'm inclined to write something like that anyway, otherwise I can't. But I will say that there's just certain things where like, it feels really good to know that a small thing, like a specific label would mean a lot if I just put it down on the page. Um, and that's the kind of thing that has definitely influenced things I do, but like, you know, <laughs> then you'll always find people who kind of hate that you did the thing. So you can't, you can't put too much stock into what people say they want, because there's also somebody who wants the exact opposite and boy, will they let you know. So <laughs> um, there's only so much you can follow what you're seeing. You don't I, know the to it just because you know what people are asking for. Right. I appreciate that. And I wonder if like your mathematician's mindset is, is useful in that way of, of thinking um, and making those predictions. Thank you for revealing behind the curtain there a little bit. Um, I was hoping you might say a bit more too about the two books that you have on the way. And I'm curious because I, you know, I'm making an assumption that in doing the work you do with LGBTQ plus reads that you are reading multiple books at the same time. Does this also mean you're capable of writing more than one book at the same time? Or did I get that wrong? Um, so the thing is, it's at a certain point in your career, if things are going along with some, you know, kind of healthy pace. Um, I shouldn't phrase it that way. For some authors, like a book every three years is exactly right. For me right now, I happen to be doing one to two books a year. Um, either, you know, just a novel, just an anthology or both. Um, but 2021 was both. 2022 is both. I actually have four books coming because I have two novels and two anthologies. So the novels do not overlap in writing for me. They're with the same publisher. Um, so it's very one at a time. I have to hit this deadline and then I move on to the next one. In fact, my next deadline is Friday. Um, <laughs> so that's in four days. Just um, I realize I'm not listening to this today. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so you are doing work on multiple books at a time. That doesn't mean you're drafting both. I was drafting anthology short stories while drafting novels, like one and one, or maybe I was drafting two short stories while drafting a novel that will overlap. But because I only have like one editor, one publisher with whom I'm publishing novels, that does not overlap. That is one at a time. But that doesn't mean that like you're only working on one book at a time because there's a tremendous amount of publicity, marketing, promotion, then there might be things that come up with subrights, which was happened for me because my audio publisher is wonderful. And in addition to buying um, 
home field advantage, they went back and they bought my self-published new adult. And then they bought my first small press young adult. So you're just constantly dealing with stuff with other books. And there was one week where I noticed I had corresponded professionally about seven of my books. So that's what it's like later. So I'm not writing them at the same time. Um, but I am definitely doing, you could be editing, you, you're often editing one while you're writing another, um, something like that. So, you know, your books better be pretty distinct in their identities or that's going to get really tricky fast. So, um, yeah, it's been a lot. Um, and I do also, as you said, I have to read a lot. It's not just reading for LGBTQ reads, but I have to read for Buzzfeed. I have to read, I do a lot of blurb reads. Um, I rarely get to choose a book that I just want to read for fun, but every now and again, one gets squeezed in there. Um, and to talk about my upcoming books. So um, my next release is actually an anthology called At Midnight, comes out November 22nd, 2022. And that's Young Adult Reimaginings of Fairy Tales. I did a sapphic Rapunzel. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I did a sapphic Rumpelstiltskin. I always mess those two names up and that's <laughs> terrible because that's my story. Um, but my next novel is called Going by Coastal. That's the one I'm turning in this week. Um, it's really fun. It is actually my first queer book where everybody is already out. So there is zero queer angst. And I love that about it um, because I've never gotten to do that before. So for me, that was that was kind of a delight. Um, and it's a sliding doors. So, you know, parallel timelines uh, story of a bi Jewish girl named Natalia who has to choose which parent she wants to spend the summer with her father that she lives with year round on the Upper West Side in Manhattan, um, or does she want to go live with the mother she's basically estranged from and intern at her office in LA and just have a totally different experience. So the book goes through each of the, alternates between each of those choices and she has a romance in each of those choices. So she's has like this very dreamy girl. She's been like obsessed with forever in New York. And then there's the new boy that she meets at work um, in LA. So it is, it's very Jewish. It's very bisexual. It's very sliding doors. Um, I used to call it biting doors until I had to get a real title for it. Um, and I, I really hope people like it. I think it's really fun and funny. And um, the book after that is actually the first book I really seriously queried in like 2010. Um, and no agents bought it and they should not have. The pacing was a mess. Um, and it took me a very long time to figure out what I could possibly do with it. But I am now on my fifth agent and she is wonderful. And she helped me figure it out in such a way that my um, editor bought it to be my second book in the deal. It's called My Name is Everett. Um, I'm sure that title won't stay, but I'm very attached to it for the last 10 years and that it, 12 years. And that um, is about a girl named Everett who. Um, goes to boarding school and is kind of looking to reinvent herself as a bad girl after her bad girl sister has managed to get everything she wants in life and Everett thinks it's her turn and this is how to do it um and she meets this boy who like is desperately trying to be good and so they're kind of helping each other out with that so it's sort of like um beach read meets foolish hearts um, at a New Hampshire boarding school. And I think that's really fun too. And I'm really, really excited to start overhauling that book and turn it into the final product it is meant to be because I have been in love with those characters and that romance and that setting and everything forever. And I still cannot believe that that's actually gonna get to be a book. Um, I am a little nervous about releasing a book that is heterosexual. I have not done that now since in YA since 2015 in new adults since 2016 um so I hope people are still open to it and not like I don't know <laughs> mad but um 
but that book has lived in my heart for so long. I, I feel very lucky to get to do it. And then I have an anthology coming out in 2024, co-edited with Jennifer Icapelli called um, Out of Our League. And it's all stories about girls in sports. All of that sounds fantastic. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Sorry, that was so much. That it's it's again though it's just it's so mm-hmm. impressive and I know that listeners will be keen to, you know, support you during the the launches of all of those texts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am guessing everything helps from giving your local library a heads up. Hey, can you make sure mm-hmm. that you've pre-ordered this? To maybe even putting it on your Goodreads to be read. Are there other ways that listeners can sort of support in that um, that gentle time period before a book? Uh, kind of comes into the world? Those are great ones um, and also great because they don't cost money to readers, um, which I love. Um, Yeah, that. And if you happen to be following me on social media or see one of my posts about it and you just share it, I mean, anything like that is great. Word of mouth is just the absolute best thing at this stage, getting people excited about it. If you have any interest in, you know, covering any of my books for anything, that's great. You know, if something sounds good to you and you like want to let, you know, be on an advanced reader copy list, something like that. Like we just, anything, you know, um, letting somebody know or just telling an author, that sounds great, I'm excited. Like you would be amazed how much you just need to be uplifted enough to know if somebody's interested in your work. Even if you never end up reading it. You think my idea sounds good? Awesome, thank you. Like that helps get me through. So um, that is all, that is all wonderful at any stage. And then obviously as you get close to having pre-order links, pre-ordering is, you know, great as well. Um, but yeah, for now, adding on to a Goodreads TBR, letting your library know, mentioning it too, if you have, you know, like an indie bookstore in your neighborhood, um, also great. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, you covered I- it. I know that um, librarians who listen to the show will also be keen for me to ask if you do any work connecting with schools, um, you know, virtually or in person, if that's, you know, I I hesitate to ask as you've gone through everything that is on your to-do list. Um, (laughs) Do do you do any work directly with schools or school districts as well? Very, very little because I do have a full-time job. Um, So Occasionally, teachers have reached out, asked if I'll do a virtual visit to their school. I have never done one in person. I still would not be able to do that. Um, But I have done the occasional virtual visit upon request. Um, I've actually, I think, done more college classes than high school classes. Um, And I have never done a library. I do go to book clubs a a fair amount, same kind of thing. Um, And then I do events at stores. But yeah, no, I... If I ever do write full time, I would really love to do more with schools. Um, but for right now, yeah, it's just it's sort of impossible with the schedule that I have. I completely understand that. Uh, Dahlia, your newsletter, mm-hmm. anthology work, social media, blogging, reviewing, um, and things that I'm leaving off, all of it feels really more important than ever. Getting LGBTQ plus narratives amplified and celebrated. It just, it feels incredibly important. And I, again, I am just really glad to be able to thank you virtually for the work that you do. I'm wondering what you hear from other followers, um, you know, how other readers or followers have interacted with you and how those interact- interactions perhaps have shifted over the years. Um, if there are other kind of memorable things that you have heard from those on the receiving end of, of all of the labor you do. The most common one that I love is that I got somebody interested in reading again, because there are people who flat out stop 
when they think that they're not in books anywhere. Um, so I have heard from readers like, thank you for getting me interested in books again, knowing that there are finally characters like me, storylines I'm interested in reading about, romances that are relevant to me, whatever it is. Um, and it's, it hadn't occurred to me that rather than settle for, for things that don't feel like them, people would just stop. Um, that's not a judgment. It just, it didn't, like I, growing up, I didn't see myself. Um, so I just like read other people's stories and then that made me want to write other people's stories to kind of live a second life. So it's, my brain just works differently in that way. Um, but obviously I love reading and deeply value it. Um, and so I'm thrilled if somebody else has rediscovered a love of reading who was really put off by it, by what was there before. And now seeing, I have so many options. Um, and I think it's interesting how to me that I will still get people who will ask something that they think is a super niche request. Like, I know this might be too narrow, but like, do you have any books with like trans mask characters in relationships, like with men? And I'm like, that's not, that's not niche. We got that. Yes. Let me help you. And it's also some of like my favorite books. It's not, it's not a, you have to settle for the two that are out there. It's like, no, here are a bunch of fantastic titles that are exactly that. Um, and that's been a cool evolution where I have seen less of that. Like people have come to expect that there is more and the requests get much narrower now because people have more reason to believe it might exist. That doesn't mean I know about it. And unfortunately my inbox is like a graveyard of messages where I just don't know the answer. I just know YA much better than everything else. So when you're going outside to like very specific details in let's say like sci-fi, I'm just probably not gonna know. And I can't handle that request until I'm able to read through like 500 reviews. Um, but, um, but it's interesting to see how the expectation that what people want to read is there and now they just need to know what the titles are versus like, does this exist? This probably doesn't exist, but, and now I see less of that and that's, that's kind of great. Um, that people now believe there's more of a reason that they will see themselves. Um, that I think is very cool. Um, and it's really nice to hear from readers of my books, obviously. <laughs> so, you know, when people have seen themselves in that, it helped them understand something about themselves. Mostly the, the most common thing I get is I wish I had this book as a teen, which like is lovely, but makes me feel like all my readers are adults. <laughs> Um, it's still nice. And I'm like, okay, but you know, there are teens who have this book and that's cool. Um, but it's, it's funny how common a, a response that is. Um, but you know, as long as teens are, are reading it too, that's great. And I love that adult readers are reading them too. So, you know, I certainly read YA as an adult. <laughs> so I'm excited for everyone else who does and just grateful for anyone who picks up the books, anybody who reads LGBTQ reads, anybody who shares that LGBTQ reads exists. I am so, so grateful. I know there are librarians and booksellers and, and educators who have really made that part of their mission. And I'm so grateful because the site doesn't effectively serve its function unless it has followers. Um, and so everyone who has sort of bumped that up, including the aforementioned Lainey Rose, who did a fantastic three minute video back when I think that was the longest you could do on TikTok. I think that's not true anymore. Um, but this whole thing, taking people through the site and how they could search. And actually a couple of people have done that on TikTok now. Um, and it really helps people discover it and it makes a big difference. And people are shocked to learn it exists. And I'm just like, please keep spreading the word, please. The more you do it, the more validating it is how much time I spend on it. 
um, but also the, the greater the impact it has because the greater the audience it has, the more people are going to find about these titles. Um, so uh, yeah, the feedback has been by and large really nice. Um, and I look forward to keeping on seeing where the trends go with the site, with queer literature in general, and yeah. And I look forward to seeing where it goes as well. So uh, listeners, please do share that site with others, um, give it the, the much deserved bump that it that it earns. And, and who knows, Dahlia, maybe the next time I talk to you, we'll be talking about how it's surpassed 2 million views. Um, and then we can just say, remember it was when it was only a million? Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, oh, those were the days. <laughs> Thank you so much again for giving up your time. We uh, we wish you the best of luck with hitting that deadline. Um, <laughs> and uh, really looking forward to seeing the new books coming out. Congratulations again. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you so much again for giving up some of your summer to be with us. A shout out to the folks at Feedspot who have ranked the podcast you are listening to right now as one of their top 100 for LGBTQ plus podcasts. Every time you rate and review the show, every time you share the show, it is a huge help. So thank you so much. If you have not yet rated, it would mean so, so much. Um, and I, I extend my appreciation in advance. In closing, we are just weeks away from the free Mind the Gap event. So here is a little bit of news about that. You can head over to the show notes to learn more. Mind the Gap is a free online conference on LGBTQIA research. Over two days, postgraduate researchers and community organizers from around the world present on the work that they do in a variety of disciplines, from looking at LGBTQIA education, to media representation, to innovative and creative ways of community building, Participation as an audience member is completely free and open to people outside of academia as well. For more information, contact the organizers on at MTG Conference on Twitter and Instagram. See our show notes for more.